1: What is going on, everybody? Welcome to Striking Gold, your 49ers podcast on the Blue Wire Network. This week's episode is sponsored by TickPick. Should be your first choice to buy football tickets because they save fans money by never charging any service fees ever. Tick Pick is the exclusive ticketing partner for the Striking Gold podcast and the Blue Wire Network. My name, of course, is Rob Lauder. I cover the 49ers for the B-Dub. And I know you're probably tuning in, knowing that it's not gonna be uh, it's not gonna be sunshine and rainbows today. The 49ers, of course, as we all know by now, um, dropped a heartbreaker to the Packers, losing with about three seconds left on the clock to a 51-yard field goal to give us a final score of 30 to 28. Green Bay walking out of Levi's Stadium. With the win for the first time in a little bit while, in a little while, so um, it was uh, it was a tough game to watch. I mean, exciting, of course. It was uh, it had all the makings of a great game. Obviously, didn't have the ending that everybody wanted it to, of course. But at the same time, you still have to have that kind of respect for a good football team. But Kind of going along with that, there was there were so many things that the 49ers did that seemed like they made this game so much harder than it needed to be, and it was a tough one to watch. Uh, before we get into that, um, just a couple updates when it comes to injuries. Uh, veteran corner Josh Norman suffer, suffered what's being basically labeled as a lung contusion or a lung bruise. At one point after the game, he was spitting up blood after taking a hard shot to the chest. Um, I need if I need to pull up Ian Rappaport's tweet because it was so like not dramatic but it was so detailed on how extensive the the injury was. Let me see if I can find it. I don't obviously don't want to keep everybody sitting here um on the podcast while I just sit here and scroll through my phone, but it really was quite funny. I'm I'm really trying to find it right now. Hold on. Um, scrolling, scrolling. Okay. 49ers cornerback, Josh Norman, who impressed in his short stint in SF, like he's leaving is dealing with two bruised lungs along with tissue damage, which may have caused some internal bleeding sources. Say tests ongoing doctors will be cautious, but, and this is when it like takes just such a dramatic turn towards something else. Doctors will be cautious, but he's in good spirits and hopes to play next week. Like what? Like you just got done firing off you know, almost a complete tweet all about how messed up Josh Norman was, including internal bleeding, and then finished it off with, he's in good spirits. He hopes to play next week. Like it sounds like he was fighting for his life, but apparently not, not that big a deal. And it looks like the 49ers may have Josh Norman, uh, against the Seahawks this Sunday, but we'll see. Uh, you never know. Obviously you got to be careful with something like that. In addition to Josh Norman, also in the secondary, was uh, nickel corner K1 Williams. Uh, he suffered a calf strain, and he's supposed to make, miss a few weeks. So the 49ers at corner, um, it's getting really, really, really dicey. And just to kind of break this down while we're on the subject, um, you got to start with, obviously, Jason Verrett, who was supposed to be their guy this year. Uh, he was out to a season-ending injury, torn ACL, in the first game of the season. You got Kwan Williams, who's their next best, and, and, You know, one of the better slot corners in the league. He's now going to be out for a few weeks. You have Josh Norman, was the veteran guy uh, that started against the Packers. Uh, we'll see if he plays, but obviously he's injured. You had Emmanuel Mosley, who just came back after missing the first two weeks to injury. And leave, that leaves basically Dante Johnson, who 49ers know and love so affectionately. Dre Kirkpatrick, veteran free agent that they just signed recently. Ambry Thomas, the third round pick that you would hope he would be able to step in there and have some success, but he seemed, uh, he doesn't seem like somebody that's necessarily earned that spot. And we haven't seen anything from him throughout the preseason that would really justify him getting that role. And then kind of like the, I guess you could say the consistent one of the group so far has been Diamador Lenore, their, uh, their fifth round rookie out of Oregon. And He's been solid. I mean, he, he, he was on the, the receiving end of a couple of plays last night, but at the same time, I mean, it seemed like the entire 49ers defense was on the receiving end of a couple of plays. So it's hard to blame a rookie, a fifth-round rookie who has kind of fought his way up to, uh, to be in consideration for a starting role. And I know last week we talked about when Emmanuel Mosley came back, who would he step in for? And it ended up being Diamador Lenore uh, uh, replaced by Emmanuel Mosley and Josh Norman started on the other side. Um, so just to kind of get into the game here, you know that kind of wraps it up for for the most part with with the serious injuries. George Kittle, I know, has a sore calf. Uh, he's kind of like a day to day thing. They're probably just being careful. Uh, Javon Kinlaw's knee that that has always been bothering him. They're just kind of looking after that. Nothing else too serious that came from the game. Uh, but just to kind of run through it here, I guess you could kind of say we'll start on the offensive side of the ball and just go through my my takeaways. Now, uh, normally I like to record these pods um, right after the game, but I happen to be watching the 49ers and Packers game from my grandma's house at a really, really large like family reunion. There was 50 plus people there, a lot of people from out of state. So I apologize for not being able to jump on here and just record the pod right away. I know you guys have probably heard from everybody else on what they felt about the game. And, and now you'll get my thoughts, I guess, a little later than than typical. But, you know, to just kind of walk it back in reverse. You know, I'm not going to start from the beginning and work my way there. Um, I'm just We're just going to kind of work from the end going backwards. And I, it looks like most of my notes kind of start on the offensive side of the ball. It really came down to a lot, kind of the way that game finished with the Packers going, you know, about 60 yards in a matter of 37 seconds. All they needed was to get in field goal range. And when the 49ers had that game, uh, I'm not, I can't call it a game winning drive, that final drive to take the lead by one point, you know, they, they took two minutes off the clock. And they left Aaron Rodgers with 37 seconds. And it seemed like everybody in the world knew that when that amount of time was left on the clock and all they needed was a field goal, I think everybody almost, at least it felt to me, that everybody almost assumed it was going to happen. The 49ers defense had struggled to stop Aaron Rodgers all night. They had a little bit better success in the second half. Um, but you just didn't expect them to be able to hold something like that off, and sure enough, it was just a a couple of plays to Devonte Adams, and that's what that's all it took. That's that's all it took. I mean, I'm trying to go back to the. Yeah, it's right here. The first play of the drive was a 25 yard completion to Devonte Adams. And that got him to the 50. You're already within about 10 to 15 yards of field goal range. Uh, Rodgers spikes the clock, uh, throws an incomplete to Devontae Adams. And on the very next play, hits him for 17 yards. Boom, you're there. You're at the 49ers, 33. They spike the goal again. They kick the field goal. The game's over. And to me, that was not – obviously, It's it's impressive. No matter what lens you look at it. Aaron Rodgers and Devontae Adams put on a clinic. Everybody knew that that's exactly where the ball was going to go, and the 49ers couldn't stop it, which, I mean, says more about Rodgers and Adams than it does the 49ers defense to me. They're just, they're, they're probably the best quarterback wide receiver duo in the league right now. So it wasn't necessarily surprised surprise to see them do that. I think everybody kind of knew that once they got that opportunity that it would have been a surprise if the 49ers defense were able to stop them. Unfortunately, it's just kind of how it felt. The problem was, is when the 49ers were, were driving down the field and they had very quickly moved kind of onto the green Bay side of the field and they were creeping their way up. And I'm trying to, they were on the 20 for the green base, 24. And then they got to the 12 after a pass to George Kittle for 12 yards. They were on the 12 yard line and they had they were had a first down they had three timeouts and the in the very very next play they threw kind of an option route to Kyle Uschek and he broke a couple tackles and scored a touchdown and left 37 seconds on the clock and obviously Kyle Shanahan touched on this in today's press conference you're not going to tell Kyle Uschek not to score to for the not to not to take the go ahead score but what wasn't said and I was I was interesting that nobody brought this up in the press conference is that Jimmy Garoppolo snapped that pass with 12 seconds left on the clock. And I I will never blame Kyle Juszczyk for scoring and not like kneeling on the one or or just downing himself short of scoring. Because once you get the opportunity, you have to score. You have to take the lead. You never know what's going to happen after that. Would the odds of the 49ers scoring on the one-yard line be good? Yes, of course. But you've got to score when you're given the opportunity. But I didn't understand why the 49ers weren't exhausting every second they could exhaust as they worked their way up there. You know who's waiting on the sideline in Aaron Rodgers and Devontae Adams, obviously. So I didn't understand why they weren't treating this like, you know, a drive to not only just take the lead, but put the game away and, and give them no chance. And now you're probably saying, well, 12 seconds, that's not that big deal. Well, in the grand scheme of having 30 seconds left to go on your game winning field goal drive, that takes it down to 25 and things become a lot more frantic. And And, and do they have time to... Do they have time to hit that field goal? They do not. Aaron Rodgers spiked the ball with four seconds left, and then they kicked the field goal. There's no way they have time to do all that with 12 less seconds, with 25 instead of 37. And so that, to me, right there, it's not even a – it's just a – a managerial standpoint a head coaching you know being aware of of the game type of thing like just that one move to just wait to snap the ball those 11 seconds 12 seconds and you might have just put the game away but instead they don't exhaust the clock they don't exhaust the play clock they throw that pass to Kyle Uschek score a touchdown go ahead by one and then we obviously saw what happened so it was just a really, really odd. And, and Kyle Shanahan is, he's not a new head coach anymore. He's not a veteran head coach. I mean, I guess he's somewhere in the middle. There's no excuses for stuff like that. Like, especially when you're talking about Kyle Shanahan, he's got a little bit of a reputation about putting games away and making decisions in those types of situations. And that's just another little, little list on the resume where look like you're going against Aaron Rodgers. It's, Everything about that drive said the 49ers were going to score. They had the Packers defense on their heels, and they didn't even accomplish the simple task of exhausting the play clock. It's not about play calling. It's not about whether or not Kyle Yushek should have scored. It's just about exhausting the time that Aaron Rodgers is going to need after you score. Kyle Shanahan kind of focused in the press conference like, oh, I'm not going to tell Juice not to score. No, of course not. Of course not. But you're going to use all the time you could possibly use, and the easiest time to use is in between plays. It was just a little weird. It just didn't seem – it wasn't smart, and we saw it. We saw it. Now, you you hate to boil an entire game down to one play because that's not what it come, came down to. Many other things that play into the fact that the 49ers lost. But to me, that stood out because it was just so – black and white as to why it happened or or why did it happen so that was a tough one for me in terms of the 49ers offense as a whole the Packers completely stifled the 49ers ability to run the ball and now obviously the 49ers don't have a Raheem Mostert in the backfield but the 49ers only carry the ball 21 times for 67 yards that's 3.2 yards per carry And, you know, you go back to the NFC Championship game where the number of carries is higher and the yardage is higher by, like, 300. You know, a a ridiculous number. The 49ers were just completely unable to run the ball. Now, again, you are dealing with injuries. Raheem Mostert's out. Elijah Mitchell is out with a shoulder injury. Uh, Jeff Wilson Jr. is still on injured reserve from an offseason or from a, a training camp injury. And it just is, like, I get it. They're suffering from injuries to Michael Hasty, high ankle sprain. But at the same time, the fact that the 49ers were completely unable to run the ball, it's almost – the Packers did to the 49ers what I thought the 49ers should do to the Packers. And the difference ended up being quarterback versus quarterback. Since the 49ers could not run the ball, it was all – in Jimmy Garoppolo's hands, who threw the ball 40 times. Jimmy Garoppolo threw the ball seven times more than Aaron Rodgers. He threw for just as much and many yards as Aaron Rodgers. He completed just as many touchdowns as Aaron Rodgers. Um, Aaron Rodgers completed 70% of his passes while Jimmy Garoppolo completed 62. But in terms of like your raw numbers, the two games were, were really similar. But anybody watching that game knows that, Aaron Rodgers was brilliant whereas Jimmy Garoppolo was just strangely erratic. He wasn't he made plays, he had some good plays, but he just wasn't good enough. And to me, he authored what might have been one of the most embarrassing plays of his career where he I don't know if they went to do a little screen or a little dump off, but Jimmy Garoppolo completely turned the wrong direction and then just kind of freaked out because of uh, you know, a A defender was running at him. Well, the defender was supposed to be running at him because that's how the play is designed. But since Jimmy Garoppolo turned the wrong way, he now had a defender in his face that he didn't know what to do. He didn't have his his check down or his dump off right in front of him because he turned the wrong direction. And then he just freaks out and throws it into the ground. But the throw was backwards, and so therefore it's a fumble. The Packers recover. They end up being held to a field goal, but that is what gave them a six-point lead instead of a three-point lead and the 49ers, let's say that that field goal doesn't happen and the Packers are forced to punt or go for it on fourth down. Don't get it. The 49ers may have ended up with a four-point lead and the game would have been over with. So it was stuff like that. When I, when I think about what I saw from Jimmy Garoppolo against the Packers, it just didn't look, he doesn't look like a seasoned veteran. He does a lot of dumb shit. He makes a lot of weird plays. He misses a lot of easy throws. Now, again, don't get me wrong. You guys have heard me talk about Jimmy Garoppolo with a lot of respect for a long time. But this game just had a really weird feel. Jimmy Garoppolo just couldn't get used to standing in the pocket. It seemed like he was nervous as hell. Couldn't move around well. Like It's just like he was he just looked like he was incapable of like just sliding around the pocket. He would just kind of like tuck the ball into his stomach and run around and run into the back of somebody. And, and he, I don't know if he was I, I wouldn't say he's scared. That's a little, you know, a little dramatic, but he just didn't look comfortable at all. And some of the throws were, were off target. Even the ones that his receivers caught were constantly off target. He threw a deep shot to George Kittle that was overthrown by about three yards and allowed the, corner who was playing on the far right side of the field to make a, an outstanding play. No, I'm not definitely not taking anything from Jair Alexander, um, left his zone. Cause he didn't have any receivers there. Came all the way across the field, like a freaking free safety and just caught George Kittle's pass. And was able to, to catch it and turn and run with it because J- Jimmy Garoppolo overthrew George Kittle enough to where Alexander could catch it without running into Kittle and then kind of do his thing. Um, it just was a weird game from Jimmy Garoppolo. And like I said, it boils down to me where he's doing things that his edge is that he's experienced. His edge is that he knows Kyle Shanahan's offense. Even he said himself that the game seemed like it was slowing down, but he doesn't play like the game is slowing down. He seems nervous. He seems like he doesn't know what to expect. And, and at times just straight up doesn't know what to do with the ball or which direction to turn. And once you start seeing that from Jimmy Garoppolo, he starts losing his luster in terms of why he's starting over Trey Lance. If the 49ers have lost Raheem Mostert, Jeff Wilson Jr., Jamichael Hasty, Elijah Mitchell, man, talk about a loaded backfield that's just been decimated by injuries. All that means to me is they're going to have to, Jimmy Garoppolo is going to have to do more. But is he capable of doing more? Can he handle that? It didn't necessarily look like he could. Sometimes, yes, did make some plays. Obviously, he completed 62% of his passes for 257 yards. He led the 49ers on a game uh on a on a on a two-minute drill drive, essentially, to take the lead. So it wasn't all bad, but it, it just had a lot of inconsistency. And I think that's what it boils down to for Jimmy G is that the reason that they felt he wasn't good enough is 50%. He had trouble just straight up staying on the field and the other 50% he's just inconsistent. You never know what you're going to get. Sometimes you just get top 10 quarterback in the league, Jimmy. Sometimes you get bottom bottom 10 quarterback in the league, Jimmy, and rarely in the middle. You know, so that's the problem. And it, it just was not a pretty game for for our Italian Stallion. And it's uh it's getting to that point. I'm certainly not on the start Trey Lance bandwagon yet, but I do believe he should start seeing more playing time in the game. To me, it boils down to this as funny as it is. If you get into the red zone and you're putting in another quarterback, that's the quarterback that should play. If you get close to the most important section of the field and you need to score a touchdown and you're putting in Trey Lance, then just put in Trey Lance. The whole field. If he's good enough to take to, to come in and score you a touchdown, he's good enough to lead you down the field. And it, it, it's just getting to a point where you're going to wonder what's it going to take. And I think it's fair to say that the 49ers didn't necessarily lose that game solely because of Jimmy Garoppolo, but he played a massive role in that loss and it's it's fair to kind of just be wondering what we're going to see moving forward i'm not going to try and sway an opinion either way i'm not even really going to offer my opinion uh that ardently but it's just it, it just seemed a little rough around the edges for somebody that again is supposed to look seasoned is supposed to be able to run this offense better than Trey Lance and is supposed to make it look smooth no he's never going to have the physical tools of Trey Lance he's not going to have the running ability he's not going to have the arm strength he's not going to have the physical stature but you should be able to see him go out there and execute and hit his receivers when they need to be hit with good timing and I don't even know if we've seen that I don't even know if we've seen that It, it just it hasn't been enough so We'll keep going. We're not. I'm not. I'm not done. But before we continue on, um, we got to get a word in from our from our sponsor, TickPick. All right. We all know football's back. Uh, there's no need to exhaust yourself searching all over the internet to find 49ers tickets anymore. TickPick. That's T-I-C-K-P-I-C-K is the original no fee ticket site and the only one you'll ever need to go to for all your NFL tickets, TickPick got rid of all those awful service fees that the other ticket sites charge, which lets them guarantee the best prices on all of your NFL tickets. If you don't believe it, and you can find a better price on the same seats or another ticket site, TickPick will give you 110% of the difference in the purchase price. So use TickPick if you find your tickets cheaper they're going to pay for the difference. It's a pretty solid deal. Um, we just had the 49ers home opener against the Packers at Levi Stadium, and they're not going anywhere. Next week, they're facing the Seahawks, division rival right at Levi's Stadium again. So jump on TickPick, check it out, okay? Visit TickPick.com slash Gold10 today and use the promo code GO- Gold10 to save $10 on your first order of 49ers tickets. All right, that's tickpick.com slash gold. And then the promo code promo code is gold ten. Having code and gold right next to each other is tough. It's tough. It's destined.
0: We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed Data
1: To kind of keep going where we were, where we were kind of left off. I think this is a point where, if if the Trey Lance starting in twenty twenty one slash twenty twenty two is going to happen, I think this is where it's kind of this might be the starting point where Jimmy Garoppolo wasn't bad, but he wasn't great, and he's starting to show the same problems that you would expect Trey Lance to have given his inexperience in the offense. So maybe. This game against the Packers is that first little domino to fall when it comes to, okay, let's let's give Trey Lance a little bit more. Maybe instead of little packages on the goal line, we start giving him drives. And if that starts to happen and the drives go well, then you know, you, you the writing's on the wall. So we'll see. Uh, again, the 49ers got off to a super, super, super slow start, just like they did uh, against the Eagles. Um, at the end of the first half i believe the 49ers were were down 17 to 7 and they scored right at the end of the half so it was 17 to 0 through most or it was the 49ers were held scoreless through most of the second half and i don't know what it is i believe they went they had they had a few three and outs in a row or at least at the very least a few very quickly stalled drives and they just didn't look like they could get anything going and for a guy like Kyle Shanahan who is supposed to be able to scheme it up with the best of them it just seemed a little like off like like we're in week 3 that was week 3 the team should kind of be humming to a point of at least being able to move the ball i'm not saying every drive needs to result in points but the team just looked like they were incapable of moving the ball like 10 yards was just a mountain for them to climb, it seemed at some points, even throughout the game, even after they scored their first touchdown, then they came out in the second half and scored another touchdown. Even then it just seemed like getting those ten yards was just a trudge. It just didn't come easy and and, and some of that respect needs to go to the Packers defense for being game uh and and giving and getting in jim Garoppolo's face plenty i mean if you look at the Packers stats on defense. You have five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven quarterback hits. Only one sack, but eleven quarterback hits, two tackles for loss, f- six pass breakups, a fumble recovery. Good old Jimmy G. Like they were in the backfield way more than the 49ers were. And that was not what we were expecting. How many five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven quarterback hits for the Packers and One for the 49ers by Eric Armstead. Two, actually, adding in Nick Bosa. I mean, nobody predicted that. We thought for sure that the 49ers' ticket to victory was that that defensive front was just going to get after Aaron Rodgers, especially with a third-string tackle playing third-string left tackle. And Nick Bosa didn't even get a sack. He got involved. He had four tackles, a quarterback hit, a tackle for loss. But it just was so off in so many different ways. And so, you know, the game trended in a way where it was put on Jimmy G and the, the offensive line did not block it up. That's another part of the problem. That's why I'm not putting, willing to put it completely on Jimmy Garoppolo is because he had Packers players in the backfield constantly. Constantly. I mean, think about that. 12 quarterback hits and Jimmy Garoppolo threw the ball, you know, completed 25 passes. So, I mean, you could almost say during half – he threw the ball 40 times, though. So, one of every four um, – uh, more than one out of every four attempts, Jimmy Garoppolo had somebody in the backfield while he was throwing. That is not good. That is, And it's not normal. That is not an average. Aaron Rodgers had 33 attempts. But like I said, the 49ers only merited two quarterback hits. The, the I mean, that that's like one in every – 15, 16, one in every 16 passes by Aaron Rodgers, he had somebody in the backfield compared to one in less than four. That just shows you how drastically the situations these these players were dealing with. And not to mention the fact that Aaron Rodgers was getting the ball out in just a little over two seconds. I think it was the fastest time to release in the NFL this week average time to release which completely neutralized the 49ers pass rush it it was a clinic as far as the Packers go and to me one of the main surprises of the entire game was that it was as close as it was because it didn't feel close I think anybody who really watched that game would probably agree with me that that the 49ers were lucky to go into 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 the locker room during halftime down 17-7 it just didn't feel close even and I'm saying that, even with the 49ers losing to a last second field goal, driving down the field to take the lead with 37 seconds left. Even when all that was happening, for some reason I felt like the 49ers were lucky to be in that situation. It was weird. It was a weird, weird, uh, weird game. And yeah, the problem started on defense with just not getting after Aaron Rodgers, and he didn't he didn't give the 49ers time to. It's really tough to get up get up, get the quarterback in less than two seconds especially when you have a depleted secondary with all the injuries that we talked about i mean tr- unbelievable numbers from Aaron Rodgers and DeVonte Adams aaron rodgers threw the ball 33 times like we said over half of those 18 were to devonte adams he caught 12 of them for 132 yards and a touchdown i mean what do you what do you do with that? I know that the 49ers really kind of started bracketing DeVonte Adams in the second half, kind of limited, limited him a little bit more, but then they just didn't limit him when it all came down to the game. Cuz DeVonte Adams two of those catches were what put the game away for the Packers. It was just uh it was a, it was a rough night for the 49ers on defense in all facets. I believe the 49ers had three costly pass interference calls. I know Lenore was one. I think Mosley was one. Um, I think Fred Warner was the other. And all of them resulted in 20-plus yard first downs. A couple of them were closer to 40 yards. And just moving the ball, just giving them yards. It was It was just a weird, weird game. And I'm not sure if that's the 49ers we should expect. Because look at the first two games. They they were absolutely destroying the Lions and then let them come all the way back to where the game was decided by the final drive. Um, they came back to beat the Eagles after kind of holding it down in the second half and allowing themselves to to breathe a little bit. But even that one was close. It was a come from behind win. I'm not. I'm just not sure what, what we're getting from the 49ers yet. Are they good? I thought this team was better than... The Super Bowl team of 2019. I don't know if I believe that now, especially when you consider all the injuries. When the 49ers went to the Super Bowl, they had Jason Brett playing at a Pro Bowl level and Richard Sherman doing the same on the other side. And now Jason Brett is out for the season. And opposite that is a Emmanuel Mosley that just came back from injury. You know, you have a veteran Josh Norman who has looked solid. Both of his pass interference plays weren't even; they weren't that bad. He's looked decent, but now he's hurt and shouldn't be serious. But there's just so many injuries. The entire backfield is hurt right now, except for the 49ers rookie and Trey Sermon, who looked just okay. He looked just okay. No, we haven't really seen anything out of, out of him to be excited yet. You know, maybe one uh, one positive development, and and we'll end with some positives. We'll definitely end with some positives. Uh, the person that I probably have to bring up first was Kyle Yousechek, who scored the go ahead touchdown um, with 37 seconds left. Uh, he ran the ball a little bit. He caught some what seemed like really pivotal passes to keep drives moving, um, including that touchdown. And then to me, right there with Kyle Yousechek is Brandon Ayuk, who we finally saw get involved a little bit. He caught himself a touchdown. Uh, caught four passes for 37 yards not big numbers but when you're comparing to what he had done which is essentially nothing through the first two games of the season I think it was one catch uh, for like six yards to move the change and that was it so it was good to see Brandon Ayuk back there Kyle Shanahan made it seem like he was competing with Trent Sherfield for time well Trent Sherfield got like two snaps to Brandon Ayuk's like 60 or whatever it was so uh, I'm not sure if that's still a competition anymore. We'll see how that keeps going. I don't necessarily think it was a slight against Sherfield. I think it just had to do with kind of the situation the 49ers in, uh, being in more two receiver sets, and just kind of the ebb and flow of the game. At least that's what Shanahan said. Um, and then it was really, really good to see George Kittle get so involved again. He had seven catches on nine targets for 92 yards. Um, and again, made some pivotal plays. He had a 30-yarder. 30-plus yarder there towards the end of the game that helped move the 49ers down the field for that go-ahead score. So some some definitely some good things in those guys. I mean, those are kind of the guys that you expect good things. Debo Samuel had like a weird game. He only caught half of his targets, half of his 10 targets, five catches for 52 yards. But they were like some hard yards, some tough catches, some move-the-chains-on-third-down catches, some cornerback draped all over him catches and he was he was solid and, and I've been really really impressed with Debo Samuel so far um throughout the season I'm sure having only caught for you know having only t- totaled 52 yards he's probably not the league's leader in receiver in receiving anymore but still an impressive performance especially when you break down break down it. From, from his perspective specifically and what those catches that he made meant and moving the sticks and, and the real true bully contested catches, um, it was it was pretty impressive. It was pretty impressive. And it's just a really weird game for the 49ers. I'm trying to just kind of sum it up and, and just kind of express my feelings about it. But it's it's just tough to get it out because from so many different angles, it was just such a weird game Um, It was a weird game for Kyle Shanahan who couldn't seem like he could get his offense going. It was a weird game for Jimmy Garoppolo who just never looked comfortable and nor should he with the amount of quarterback hits the offense gave up. But at the same time, even in plays when he was given time, he just, he just looked, he just looked uncomfortable. And there were times when there were pressure, but it was pressure that a, that a starting NFL quarterback should be able to kind of maneuver and move throughout and, and keep his eyes downfield. And he just seemed like he would panic. And then like, like we talked about earlier, he had that one turnover. The interception to George Kittle, it's not that big a deal. He kind of mailed it, overthrew him, got picked off, taken a deep shot. It was really just an incredible play from, from Jair Alexander, more than it was a mistake Jimmy Garoppolo. But where I, I just can't, let him slide is the fumble late in the game to allow the Packers um, in the fourth quarter to, to make that field goal to put them ahead by six rather than three. And that just changed the dynamic of the game, changed the flow of the game. And it it was just such an ugly play that you don't expect somebody with as much experience as Jimmy Garoppolo to make. You just don't expect that. And, And maybe we would expect that from, a Trey Lance who's just kind of getting his legs under him and, and learning to become a starting NFL quarterback, but not from the guy who is in that spot because of his experience and his knowledge of the offense. And it was just one of the worst plays I've ever seen from Jimmy Garoppolo and just really kind of struck me in a weird way because he just, he didn't run the play correctly. He lost composure and then he just fumbled the ball in the middle of nowhere he could have just thrown it away kind of like off. And even if it would have been intentional downing, got it. Like, you know, you still live to play another down. You don't turn the ball over, but it's just, it was such a freak out. And, and it, it, it was just so ugly. I might be exaggerating. I might be overreacting. You guys can tell me on Twitter if I am, it just, it just seems, it was such an embarrassing play for him. And it was like, Look, if this is what Jimmy Garoppolo is going to give you, then how much reason do you really have to not start Trey Lance, the guy you traded or the guy you essentially gave up three first-round picks to take and some who you know offers you the attributes that you want in a quarterback? And I'm not sure Jimmy Garoppolo is doing that. The Packers were able to do what they did because they had no respect for what Jimmy Garoppolo did as a passer. He only averaged six yards per attempt, 6.4 yards per attempt. Aaron Rodgers was almost eight yards. And in terms of an average, that's that's a huge difference. And it just seemed like the Packers didn't care. They were like, okay, yeah, let Jimmy Garoppolo throw the ball and and we'll deal with it as it goes. And, and at no point were there any really threats of, of, of a deep shot. And it couldn't be more different from the Packers. Devonte Adams, longest catch, 25 yards. Valdez Scantling's longest catch, 47 yards. Uh, Al Lazard's longest catch, 42 yards. Uh, you know, and George, you had, you did have a 40 yard play from George Kittle, 39, but most of that was after the catch. Whereas if you saw, you know, the other, the place from the Packers, they were just these huge deep shots. And yes, it's Aaron Rodgers, but the Packers didn't have to worry about that at all. There just is no real threat of, other than being schemed open by Kyle Shanahan, there's just no real threat of a big play through the air. And the Packers, for the most part, just wrote the rule book for beating the 49ers in their current state. Their running backs are depleted, stop the run and then let Jimmy Garoppolo do his thing. And it likely will not be enough to win the game. And that's what we saw against the Packers. So we'll see where the 49ers go from here. I don't know what adjustments they're going to make. They've got injuries now in the secondary that they're going to have to attribute for. My guess is Diamador Lenore comes in for Kwan Williams. Um, Josh Norman makes the comeback he's expecting to make from his lung injury. And then it's still Emmanuel Mosley, Josh Norman, and the Diamondor and Lenore in the slot, which shouldn't give necessarily anybody any warm and fuzzy feelings, that's for sure. There's a, And there's not a lot of talent there. So, going to be interesting. Like I said earlier, the 49ers play the... Seahawks this Sunday at Levi's stadium. Um, Typical afternoon game that we've come to expect from Levi's. Uh, We'll see the Seahawks have lost two in a row. The 49ers just lost their first game. It is their first. uh, I believe it's both teams. First divisional game. Obviously it's the 49ers first divisional game. Uh, I believe it's the Seahawks first divisional game as well. I just don't remember who they played uh, week one, but It's gonna be be an interesting game. And and the problem is is the Packers or the 49ers struggle to cover Devontae Adams. And Devontae Adams is essentially the only real receiving threat on the Packers. Not to slight Valdez Scantling or Lazard. They could play their role, but we all know Devontae Adams is that offense. You go over to the Seattle, and now you've got to cover Tyler Lockett and DK Metcalf, both weapons in and of themselves and if the 49ers now now neither of them are as good as Devontae adams but what are the 49ers going to do when there's two big threats out there and they they couldn't even cover one of them when they everybody in the world knew that he was getting the ball and they still couldn't cover him so the 49ers have some soul searching to do the the crummy part is is after that offseason we we all kind of knew that the 49ers were putting themselves into a precarious spot at corner. They were just putting all their chips in the good luck basket, hoping that Jason Brett would be able to stay healthy and, and things would just would go well. And unfortunately, that's not how it worked, especially in 49ers land. And now they're just reaping the repercussions of that. And it's just tough. They're going to have a lot of problems keeping defenses from throwing all over them especially again in terms of writing the rule book for beating the 49ers now knowing that if if an if a team can come in to face the 49ers and stop the run and get the ball out quickly if they want to throw then they'll the chances are good that they'll beat the 49ers. And we'll see how the team adjusts to that. We'll see how D'Amico Ryan's adjusts, how Kyle Shanahan adjusts. But something's going to have to change in order for the 49ers to, to keep pace or to apply pressure. Uh, we'll see. I, I hope I don't, I'm don't. i not being too doom and gloom, too pessimistic. I'm not really that type of person at all. If you've been listening to Strike and Goal for a while, you know that. I'm not not a negative person. I just saw a lot of problems arise during this game. And, and I try not to, I don't want to be too critical because it is Aaron Rodgers, and it it's Devontae Adams. It is a very good Packers team, but it just seemed to raise a few red flags as far as how the 49ers are going to go about their business um, as the season goes on. So we'll see. We'll see. Uh, I'm hoping uh, the 49ers can give the, the Seahawks a show. Uh, those are always good, exciting games. Um, no matter where you, either team is, let's just say the Seahawks actually end up not being good um, and the 49ers end up being good. This is just making up a scenario. It always seems like it never really matters in division games. No matter how good or bad one team is, it's a division game. You know each other so much better than other teams. They always seem close. I mean, everybody remembers when the 49ers were great and you know when they went to the Super Bowl and the NFC Championships under Harbaugh. And the Rams always gave them a run even when the Rams were were terrible because they just know each other. Well, you can exploit weaknesses that maybe other teams haven't found players play at a different level when they know it's a division game. It just always gets interesting. So we'll see. We'll see how that goes down. Um, But that's it for us tonight. Hopefully you don't mind the, the the slightly later than usual uh, reaction to the 49ers loss to the Packers. Like I said, um, I was hanging out with a lot of family members that I haven't seen in years and I didn't want to just kind of blow them off for the sake of recording a pod, uh, family comes first, as y'all know. So, uh, forgive me for jumping on here a day later than I typically would. Hopefully you enjoyed it still. Thank you for sticking with striking gold. Thank you for sticking with me. Make sure you're out there rating the podcast, reviewing it, um, downloading it, subscribing, all that good stuff you can do to make little numbers pop up on the spreadsheets because I appreciate it. Um, And again, I I wouldn't be here doing this all these years, uh, cycling my way through co-hosts if it wasn't for you guys. It's plain and simple. If no one was listening to this podcast, then I wouldn't be here doing it. So I appreciate you guys. Thank you for listening to Strike and Gold. And um, I will be back on here a little later this week to break down um, what we should expect to see uh, against the Seahawks and what the 49ers might be able to do to right the ship. Um, but again, thank you for listening to Strike and Gold for another podcast. We are signing out.